Starting Monday, the track around the athletic field will be closed to joggers at 8.30 p.m. instead of 10. Any other items before we call it a night? Yeah. Um, now, I got wind that for the spring drama production, Howard Roberts intends to put on Jesus Christ Superstar. Um, I don't think that play is appropriate for this high school. Look, I'll talk to Howard. Okay, let's adjourn till next week. Deborah, why don't you lead us in the prayer? Paul, why don't you get the door? In the name of the lords of darkness, rulers of the earth, kings of the underworld, I command the forces of darkness to bestow their infernal power upon me. Hello, and welcome to Discovering the X-Files, the podcast in which a newbie takes a deep dive into the entirety of Chris Carter's universe while longtime fans escort me on the journey, a perilous journey filled with government conspiracies or weird monsters every other week. I'm Eric's Antoine, and today I'm once again joined by the Penske Files' Clay McCormick. We'll be discussing Die Hand Die Verletzt, which originally aired on January 27th, 1995. It was written by Glenn Morgan and James Wong, and directed by Kim Manners. In this episode, Mulder and Scully travel to a New Hampshire town to investigate the death of a teenager who was apparently killed during an occult ritual. They discover the local high school's faculty is actually a satanic cult, and things are further complicated when the devil herself has decided to personally interfere in the guise of a creepy substitute teacher. There's a lot going on in this overstuffed but entertaining little thriller of an episode. In a moment, Clay and I are going to get into it. Stick around. Did you do it? I would kill anyone who did the things to her that she claims. Not a very Christian tenant. Thou, God of vengeance, shine forth. Even the devil can quote scripture to fit his needs. How dare you! Get out of our house! The devil travels in many forms. And you may be one! As far as I know, you put those ideas in my daughter's head. Now get out. Welcome back, Clay. This was a, a fun episode to do. Uh, I'm, I'm glad we're talking about this one because, uh, again, like we we've been good. I mean, the, the the first one we talked about, the host was a really good episode, and this one, I personally thought it was also a very good episode. Uh, you know, a couple of issues with it, but uh, but generally, I thought it was it was good. And I'm when you put it on your list, you know, the, the ones that you wanted to do, mm-hmm. and I and so that's why I'd like you to start because I'm curious what what was it about this particular episode that wanted that made you want to do it. 
Sure. Well, thanks for having me back, uh, first of all. This one, I th for some reason, this one's always stood out to me. It, or I should say it stood out in my memory. I've always remembered this one. I don't know if I was just the right age where I was. Uh, this would have been, what, 92? No, 95. 95. Okay, so I was in the fifth grade going into the sixth grade, <clears throat> uh, just getting into that secondary level of school, I think, where you're you know, moving around classes and you might have to dissect stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it just, I, I, can, I can picture, as I was watching it, there were two or three scenes that just, I realized I immediately were burned into my brain that I remember as being very creepy and scary, namely the, uh, <clears throat> the wrist slitting scene or anything involving the teacher, honestly, where she's holding yeah. her hand over the fire and stuff. And of course the, uh, snake eating scene or the, the, yeah, the snake eating the guy scene. Uh, another thing I, I, reason I want to do it is cause I, I have a, a soft spot for, and a fascination for the whole, um, satanic panic era of the eighties. Yes. <clears throat> and I also have a soft spot for, I really like the idea of conservative evil. And I don't mean that like, well, I don't think I mean that politically, but it, sure. it's, it's a kind of malevolence that is based in people claiming to know what's good for other people. Um, but what they, what, what they're claiming is good for other people is only what's good for them, essentially. I also really like the idea of using evil and magic for really mundane purposes and then that coming back on you tenfold because you don't really realize what you're doing. So this kind of hits a bunch of spots of things that I'm, I'm interested in and, uh, and, and whatnot. But it's, uh, yeah, it's a good one. It's one of those episodes where Mulder and Scully don't actually really do anything. They just, they're just sort of there. And it happens yeah. to them, but yeah. um, that one doesn't—it doesn't really bother me that much in this. Yeah, no, because that what you just said is something that is very common. I'm noticing it's—it's it's a trope. Yeah, uh, there are plenty of episodes where Mulder and Scully are basically just observers. Mm. Uh, you know, they're passive protagonists. Scully in, in, spends half the time on the internet in this episode. Right. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, yeah, was it the internet or was she like on the school? Well, yeah, it's the internet. I mean, she, she's looking up uh, uh, details on Mrs. Paddock, uh, which, who, by the way, yes, uh, an extremely unsettling. Uh, uh, Mrs. Paddock has a really creepy face. And, yes, yeah. And uh, it took me a minute to realize who she was because she looked really familiar and it was, it was bugging the shit out of me. Mm -hmm. um, but it, she plays... She's in Pet Cemetery. Oh, really? In the original Pet Cemetery, she plays the, I guess, the housekeeper oh, that ends okay. up that ends up hanging herself. Uh, oh, you know, okay. early, early on in the film, sure. the one that's come, that comes over to do the laundry, and I think it's implied that she has stomach cancer or something's going on, and so she and she can't take it anymore, and she hangs herself. Mm -hmm. And that's who that's who that was. It took me a minute though to realize, but. She had a creepy face in Pet Cemetery, and she's got a creepy face in this episode. The way they shoot her, too, the, those tight close-ups. Yeah. yeah. The, the, lighting, <laughs> yeah. the lighting on yeah. her is great. I do always wonder, as an actor, do you have to kind of resign yourself to the fact that, like, <laughs> based on the way you look, which is not something you can change, right. you're going to be getting called in for less than glamorous roles. I mean, this, this she's she's at least gets to play a pretty evil... Um, 
uh, embodiment of Satan sort of demon thing. But it's also like, eh, she's pretty creepy looking. Let's get the creepy lady to do this. You know, like, do you, right. do you put that, like, is that on your resume where, you know, instead of doing headshots where you're like, oh, I can play a doctor and I can play a tennis coach. It's like, <laughs> I can play a demon. I can play a witch. And it's, is that something that you have to, like, really come to terms with that you're never going to play? You're never going to play Macbeth, uh, Lady Macbeth, but you will play one of the three witches. Yes, exactly. <laughs> no, I, I think that's a very good point. And I'm sure that it's, something that many actors sort of, particularly character actors, right? That mm. they realize, yeah, I'm never going to get the lead role. And uh, if I get a leading role, it will probably be a villain. Or, you know, it, it's it's just that the sort of thing where you you do sort of have to un realize who you are mm -hmm. within, within your profession. What your skill set is, basically. Yeah, and that's not to say she's not like a monster or anything. Oh, she's no, She's a no, fairly no. normal-looking woman. It's just sure. a... That I, I do, I just think generally about that, where it's like, yeah, it's, some guys, you know, Clint Howard's always going to play the Clint Howard character, you know? Exactly, yeah, Clint, How Clint Howard, who, as a child actor, he was like a gentle Ben, right? But he was also mm -hmm. on that on that episode of Star Trek where, right. yes. you know, he's a very creepy-looking baby, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and it was, it's just, yeah, Clint Howard is one of those guys where you go, wow. Yeah, I mean, he gets work, but he gets very specific work. Exactly. Yes, and, and I think only I think only his brother, I think only Ron Howard, ever casts him in moderately normal roles. I think, yeah. like, and usually like some background character or something, but like, yeah, moderately a yeah, normal role. Yeah. But but here we have here we actually have a couple of um, interesting character actors, and I was particularly impressed with I forget the character's name, but the. Basically, the lead, you know, of that of that ring of of administrators, the mm -hmm. one who's the the father, the the stepfather, Jim something. Um, sure. Yeah, the guy that gets eaten by the by mm -hmm. the anaconda or whatever, right? Um, by the python. He's Dan Butler, who like I'm a big fan of Frasier, and he plays he plays Bulldog on Frasier. Oh, that's where yeah. I know him from. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so he's totally funny. different. He's like totally different from yeah. from the character of Bulldog in this uh, this episode. And he he gives a really good performance, even in moments when he's almost going over the top. Mm -hmm. You know, when he's having that discussion with Mulder at the house, and then Mulder is really kind of needling him, and uh, yeah. uh, until he finally loses, he's just like, "Get out of here! Get out of my house!" You know, that like, was my that, that was my favorite part of the episode is when they, they go there to talk. Well, one of my favorite, not, not really my favorite, but jokingly my favorite part of the episode, yeah. <clears throat> when they go there to talk to the parents, and then they split up, and Mulder brings him to the kitchen, and he's like, "So did you do it?" <laughs> it's like, "What? No, of course not." But just the ca how casual he just asks him if he's been uh, black magically assaulting and and violating his daughter is is pretty hilarious. That's the interesting thing about this episode, because I was, I was reading a little bit about it, and they said that it was meant to be a satire of, of religion, a satire sure. of organized religion. I go, okay, I can see that. I can, I can definitely see mm -hmm. how like, it's, it's trying to need a little bit of the, the hypocrisy of, of religion, of organized religion, and how the, the way things work, you know, uh, and that sort of speaks a little bit to what you were saying about conservative evil. Mm, mm. Right, um, where maybe yeah, there's a slight political aspect to that. The weird thing though is that yeah, I I guess you could look at it like at, when the episode starts, there is a sort of dark humor aspect to it. Mm 
Mm-hmm. You know, the, the kids in the woods, the, you know, you, you realize these are like high school administrators and they're having that conversation or the way that the cold open is actually darkly funny because like right, they're, they're, right. they're talking about what they're going to do for that school year, you know, saying like, okay, we're, we're going to, they want to put on a production of Greece. Doesn't it have the F word? Mm-hmm. Okay. This and that. And then, okay, well now we must do this. And then they go into their, like their chanting ritual and behind the closed door. And sure. I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of teenagers believe that their school is run by a cult, by a coven of, you know, witches. <laughs> so that, that plays into that. Uh, I imagine that the writers, uh, Glenn Morgan and James Wong, I imagine that they were really digging into their own sort of high school experience. And so, mm. like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure, like, you go, like, my high school was definitely run by a coven of some sort, by by a satanic cult, you know, and... Right, right. And so that so that part is funny, but then, and the episode is intriguing and interesting, and but you kind of wonder where it's going, but then you have that scene where um, Shannon talks about her experience. Mm. And at that point, the episode just takes a sharp, very dark turn yeah. from which it doesn't, from which it doesn't return. And like, it, it just, it, like it goes really down a very dark path and it's just jet black. The whole thing changes. And I thought that was interesting also from a storytelling standpoint to have this story go there. So uh, fearlessly, I would say, cause that's a really mm. dark place for a network television show to go. Yeah. It's an interesting kind of, turn that they do because i i feel like it kind of muddles what they're trying to do a little bit by doing that because they start it with uh like you're saying this sort of black black comedy element and then when Mulder and Scully show up uh the sheriff is talking about there being black magic ceremonies and sacrifices and stuff and and Scully drops the uh, thing about the FBI doing an in-depth investigation on occult sacrifices and, and crimes, and they've found no uh, in- incidents of that at all, which was a line I actually really liked, because after she says that, um, she says, like, if if this were to be true, it would be a, an evil conspiracy on a global scale that's completely mm-hmm. unheard of. And then the guy goes, yeah, so now you understand what we're up against. Like, I like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then they do this thing where like they're clearly playing on the satanic panic kind of thing and bringing up kind of the repressed memory aspect of like the McMartindale case or the, I can't remember if it's McMartin or just Martindale, um, where all of these children were coming out with these quote unquote repressed memories that ultimately ended up being coerced out and not true and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's a weird mix because once they bring that element into it she shannon is is her name shannon shannon yeah shannon's the girl's name yeah shannon has all of these repressed memories at least that's what Mulder thinks they are and she goes off and talks about all this really awful stuff which turns out to not be true but it's like half true and the half truth gets kind of kind of muddles things because when Mulder confronts her father about it, he's, he says, "Yeah, we use the kids in the in the uh, the services or the rituals. We didn't hurt them. It's probably just a cross between that and stuff <laughs> she heard on TV." And I was like, oh, "That's kind of a, a wobbly way to get yourself out of that corner, yeah. storytelling wise." Um, so yeah, it gets a little weird because it's like. 
they're setting up that the occult stuff is real, but then Scully's like, the occult stuff is not real. But then they're like, yeah, it's kind of half. It is real, but it's also kind of like half real. And I don't know. It gets a little bit, a little yeah. bit mi mixed up there for me. Yeah, no, I see what you're saying, and I agree with you. And I think, because as I said, I had some reservations, and that was basically, mm -hmm. I think, my big problem with the episode was that that, and this is something that happens frequently on the X Files, where they have this story, they have this concept mm. that they seem to be exploring that's going one way. But then for whatever reason, they put in this other element that, first of all, doesn't really make sense or that you don't even really need, that just complicates things unnecessarily. And I'm not sure why they did it. I mean, because it, it, it would have made sense for it to just be that she was abused. You know, like, just mm. go ahead and just own yeah, up to just it. Lean I into mean, it, yeah. you've already gone there. So, you know, what? You Well, she wasn't actually abused. Well... She was so yeah. you might you might as well even if she was only psychologically it's, abused she was abused so yeah I think I think the tough thing it's kind of like the Freddy Krueger problem because yes Freddy Krueger can be a child killer but mm -hmm. the minute they're like actually he was a child molester you go ooh I can't that's that's a bridge too far for some reason killing kids is fine I don't have a problem with that but if he's a child molester then it's just too dark right it's too dark to the point of it not being fun anymore right. and. That's what's weird about this, because they go that direction, but they totally pull up, because I think if you go all the way, then it gets super dark, and sure. it becomes a different story. And the the thing about it that that is weird for me is that clearly they wanted to put that in there because it's all kind of of the piece of that era of paranoia. Yeah. But it doesn't actually serve the story in any direct way. Because I still don't totally know why Shannon gets killed, other than the fact that she is sending Mulder and Scully kind of down the path of discovering this stuff. But even there, it's like, eh, I don't know, that's not really much of a reason. But. Right, it's a bit shaky. It's a bit shaky, especially when you consider that what she's saying is not entirely true. Right. right? What we later right. find out. Yes. So... There, since there would be no evidence, because I'm sure that if it were true, if she had had, what, what does she say, three pregnancies? Yes, yeah. Okay, there would be physical evidence of this. It would be oh, very true. easy, yeah. of course. They, they can run tests, and they would discover whether this is true or not. So, so yeah, why does she die? Because obviously, like, the implication is she dies because she's getting them close to the truth. Mm -hmm. that's that's why she needs to be killed be, before she can reveal anything but again it is shaky and i think it's what it is and it's interesting that you brought up uh, uh freddy krueger because i was having the same conversation with daniel for last for last episode mm. which has a, a similar problem and i'll just run through it really quickly sure. but the last episode is the one in which uh uh nick chinland plays a a serial killer who uh, has like a death fetish i don't know if you remember that episode at all it's called irresistible um, he, he desecrates corpses, but okay. what he does is he desecrates corpses, mm -hmm. and uh, that ultimately he does that, and he like you know he cuts their hair and cuts their fingernails off, things like that, right? Sure. And then and then he starts killing people and doing that to them. But the original concept of that episode, before what they ended up doing, was that it was necrophilia. Mm. Okay, and I'm sure, I'm sure they got some notes on that one. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, and the thing is, and that's that's it because they got notes because Fox was like, yeah, we're not going to do that. It's not going to happen because that happened. They had to sort of tone it down 
but it seems like they just removed the word necrophilia mm -hmm. while still keeping the story extremely creepy either way. So it's sort of the same thing here. It's like, well, it's too dark if we actually uh, have her be, be abused. But I guess we can say that she thinks that she was abused. Yeah. You know, and, and it's it's sort of this half-hearted way. You know, it, it does seem like something they would add in in like a second draft of the script. And by doing that, they kind of fuck it up. Yeah, and it's also kind of weird because like if you add that in and it turns out to be true, you're kind of crossing into this territory that is one of the things that I, I find is a little bit, can be a little bit iffy, well, not iffy, but you have to think about it a little bit more in modern context because, uh, like, um, I, I don't know if you, did you watch the revival at all? No, uh, no, not at all, no, no. So uh, the, Joel McHale is is on playing a, basically an Alex Jones-type character who's right. all about ridiculous uh, government conspiracies, blah, 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 blah. And he turns out to be right to, mm -hmm. to like a large extent. And I was watching that going like, Ugh, I don't really know if I appreciate them making the Alex Jones analog correct in all of the crazy shit that he's spewing out. Right. And I think you kind of run into a similar problem here where the repressed memory thing is such a hot button topic that in 95 is probably still pretty, pretty clear in the minds of a lot of people that they've they've i think at this point they have to a large extent debunked a lot of that stuff a lot of the occult stuff and a lot of the repressed memory stuff but if you yeah. if you come in and you put that out there and you go actually in this case it was all true i feel like you're kind of stepping into really kind of gooey waters uh, i don't know i don't know if I, if I would say ethically but just like it's a it's a pretty heavy thing to in your fiction story confirm as something that actually was true you know what i mean Right, they're taking something that is real. You know, the satanic panic is a real thing that was happening. And you had a lot of paranoia about it. And we did kind of talk about this when we talked about the host. You did bring up how the the revival, it's interesting to put it in a modern, like you asked me a question, like, mm. what do I think now? Like, what sort of, could Mulder, could someone like Mulder, right. uh, how, how does he operate in today's society, the way that things are now, right? And, and I'm still thinking about that. Like, I'm mm. still thinking about what we talk about. I, I'm not sure I've, I've come to a conclusion yet. But when I see episodes like this, like, I go like, okay, so I see like this episode, and I wonder, like, would a modern show even tackle this topic at all? Yeah, yeah. That, like, I ask myself, like, because yeah. it's perfectly fine. This is 25 years ago. And it's, as we said, it's a good episode. It's, it's generally well written. It's like a good little 45 minute horror movie. So basically, my question is that, like, would this, would this show, this episode be done today? Like, would a story like this be told in a, mm -hmm. in a modern, in a modern show? That's, that's basically my, my question. I think, I think you can do it because I think, interestingly enough, I think you're far, far enough away from the reality of that situation where you can probably get away with it a lot, a bit easier now, mm -hmm. but also I think you need to subvert it more. Like that's actually what I was surprised about in this episode is they don't really subvert it too much. They just kind of bring it up and kind of like let it lay there where, um, <clears throat> and I think that's what I mean by not really serving a purpose to the story. Like if there was some underlying thing there where 
like uh, she was those memories were implant were being put into her head magically to like put Mulder and Scully off the scent or something like that. You know what I mean? Like some, yeah. some sort of subversion of the idea so that it's not just a uh, use of that real world thing in a fairly dark way that doesn't really serve much as far as the story goes. And it's also like uh, this sort of thing, like we don't talk about it anymore. Like, I, right, I guess, right. you know, the, because as I said, the satanic panic thing was very much an 80s thing mm-hmm. and into the 90s. And that's about that's kind of where it stopped. Right. And so now, which is strange, because like as a kid, I, I, I understood that stuff to just be part of society, like part of cultural society is like, oh, yeah, no, there are satanic cults and they do exist and they grab children. It wasn't until I, I read a book by uh, John Douglas, the FBI um, behavioral analysis unit guy. Right. Um, the one uh, called Mindhunter, the one the show's based on loosely. Right, um, right. Where he talks about that, where he's like, yeah, we've never found any credible evidence of any of that stuff ever happening. And that blew my mind. Because I just yeah. assumed it was a, a truth that everybody knew. It's the sort of thing where it's in one of the faces of death, which, okay, you know, sure. I, I don't know if I, that was anything that you dug into when you were a kid, but I never the, the, the forbidden know, videos, you know. Yeah, I, mean? I love I love the concept of the forbidden yeah. videos, and I've seen a good portion of them, but I've never. Yeah. I, I just faces of death is just a a step too far for me. I think. Well, yeah, I mean, but, but like, once you find out that most of that stuff's fake anyway, yeah, then then it just keywords. Yeah. Keyword being most. <laughs> yeah, most, most, like most. Yeah, there's a couple. They they use a couple of things that are, ugh, but like. Most of it is fake. And one of the things that it's in one of them, there is this videotape, supposedly, of like a satanic ritual, sure. like a murder. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's very clearly that's not a real thing what we're looking at. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, it's it was something that was very exploited at that time throughout mm-hmm. the 80s and 90s. And, yeah, I think that uh, at this point, doing something like that, I don't know if it would work. And it would be sort of the purview of, of, uh, of Alex Jones or whatever. Like what, like when you hear about things like that now, um, cults or anything of that nature, yeah, they do take real things and then they, they extrapolate it. And so like you, you'll hear about something like, you know, like Pizzagate, for example, Sure. sure. like that's the, that's the modern equivalent of those things. And I just don't know if the X-Files would ever do a Pizzagate story, right? I mean, that would, it wouldn't fit. Mm. right that's that's an interesting comparison because i feel like this stuff sits in a slightly different realm than something like pizzagate because that sort of stuff is more well depressingly more mainstream as we go but it's it sits in the fringes enough where it's just it's it's not something that is pervasive through regular society and through uh you know the corridors of power whereas this thing and the satanic panic thing like what i was saying at the beginning was Mm -hmm. evil being exacted on people under the guise of it being for their own good whether or not the people who were doing it believe that is up for debate because sometimes yes sometimes no i think a lot of the people who were against heavy metal music and blah, blah 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 really thought that they were doing the right thing but that doesn't mean that they were so, yeah, I don't know exactly what the analog would be today. 
for something like that where it's a top-down adult centered panic or or um prohibition of something that turns out to be just complete i mean maybe it happens even just more often now like the everything moves so quickly it's like every week there's something that people are concerned about and then two weeks later it's gone whether it's yeah. you know kids eating tide pods or some shit like that or yeah yeah but there's a new video on tiktok that's causing kids to kill themselves it's like all right we don't hear about that anymore right um, you know what i mean it's it's that kind of thing where it's like it feels like back then those things could blow up slower whereas now it's just boom and then they're gone well yeah because i mean that is also obviously because of the way uh, communication is now you know social media and that sort of thing the reason i think that things are used to bloom slower back then was because you know it was water cooler talk it was stuff that you know you yeah. little by little it would start spreading you know and eventually you'd hear about it but now you just go into twitter and there it is you know what i mean yeah. Uh, yeah. so you immediate everybody immediately knows you know like uh you know a hundred thousand people immediately know like within seconds they they see the same story and that starts spreading and that starts trending and and here we are and then, and then that's uh, that's probably one of the reasons why some of this stuff uh, didn't uh, didn't stay on and there and and yeah mo the modern analog of this sort of uh, paranoia is not occult based anymore mm -hmm. it's right. like we've moved beyond that I don't doubt that there are some people in you know in the Bible Belt whatever that still believe these things oh I'm sure yeah I, I, think... I, I would imagine they definitely do yeah I think so definitely yeah not, not only not only just in the Bible but I think that there are some elements of these stories that are up for debate for a lot of people still, even though it's been grossly debunked. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, and the and the and the whole thing about they they have a few laughs about this, a couple of funny lines where they're you know you better hide your Megadeth uh, records or mm -hmm. whatever it is and mm -hmm. things like that, right? Where that still goes on. I mean, you still have heavy metal records and and video games being blamed being blamed for Man, whenever teenagers do terrible things i'm i wish there was more satan in heavy metal these days it's not <laughs> it doesn't exist anymore like it was so clearly a theatrical thing that they were yeah people thought blew up out of and was real but it's just it doesn't exist anymore and it takes the fun out of it it's all depressing now yeah i think what it, a lot of what it is is this stuff tends to, it's a, uh, to, to use a Simpsons reference, won't somebody please think of the children situation? <laughs> yeah. Because most of the time this stuff happens, it comes from parents who are, when they see stuff like this, it signals to them that they are no longer in control of their children and they are, they're missing something and they're not able to protect them. So there's a, severe overreaction because they have this um reflex that they want to protect their kids but they you know they go too far and they don't really think it out because you know you're blinded by no one's going to hurt my kid kind of thing right um so that's why yeah that's why it's always popular culture stuff that gets pushed back against it's always music before music it was you know it's movies or video games it was in the 50s it was comic books comic right. books got brought before the Congress or something, because they thought they were turning kids gay and making right. kids kill people and stuff. Exactly. Uh, it's they're easy targets. 
You know, right. whatever is dominating popular culture at any given moment, they're easy targets. Parents um, refuse to look in, like at themselves and go like, maybe, maybe the fact is that I'm a shitty parent. Maybe yeah. that's what it is. Maybe I'm not paying attention to my kid. Maybe I'm not actually listening to to their needs. Maybe I'm not, you know. And so it's very easy for me to be like, oh, well, yeah, that happened because he listens to Megadeth or because he plays Grand Theft Auto. Mm -hmm. That's why he did this. And it's like, no, it probably is because you're a shitty parent. And, yeah. well, you know, not even, yeah, not even, it doesn't even have to be shitty parent. I think it's just like you, those things tend to start I'm not a parent myself, but so I'm just projecting. But sure. uh, I feel like those things tend to start at the age where you are realizing for the first time that your kids have their own lives. So because right. up to a certain point, you know everything they're doing. You know everything they have done. And yep. so when something finally gets through those cracks that you don't know about, that's when it's kind of like a world can be a world changing event, which is why people a lot of times in, in denial of that will react way too much in the other, other side of uh, stuff. So instead of like going like, Oh, well, I don't understand this, but he seems to like it. They are like throw the tapes in the trash and tell them that they're going to hell or something. Yeah, no, exactly. It's uh, it's, it's just easier. You know, that's all it is. And, and you're right. It's yeah. not necessarily that you're a shitty parent, but what it is is that, because what you're saying isn't is exactly true. I mean, uh, there there comes an age, especially in their teen years, where right you go from that point where you know everything about them, and then all of a sudden you don't. Right. And right. that's that's a terrifying feeling. Right. But I think that if you've done your job, you know, uh, to to put it that way, uh, because I'm a parent, so I can mm. I can speak to this. Hopefully, you've established trust, mm. so that. Yeah, you may not know absolutely everything that's going on, but you but you're in a position where, you know, if your kid's having some kind of a problem, they will come to you with it. They will open it up to you so that you can perhaps give them advice or help them in some way. Um, when I think you don't establish that level of trust and communication and force the kid to maybe start hiding things from you because they don't think you will understand them because they they don't trust you. Right. And right. so when when you've lost, that's when you've lost everything. And then so at that point. You know, when you've lost that trust, that bond, uh, that's where you're fucked. Yeah, and maybe maybe it's harsh to say shitty parenting, but it's certainly you know it is. Let's call it mediocre parenting. It's okay. You know, and then and then when you like, and that's why then you have no choice but to blame something else, something external, because you can't bring it. You can't blame yourself for whatever reason. Yeah. And sometimes, like in this episode, it turns yeah. out to be real. Yes, sometimes exactly. Sometimes <laughs> the teacher turns out to be, you know, uh, the devil incarnate. Uh, Very and, rarely, but sometimes. <laughs> right, and who, who comes because it is a little bit. The, the one thing, going back to the episode itself, the one thing that also another thing that doesn't really make a lot of sense is uh, I repeatedly bring this up in other episodes of X Files. I refer to it as the pregnant moment, which is mm -hmm. like, why is this story being told now? Like, right, why is right. this happening now? Mm -hmm. Right. And so I don't understand. Maybe I missed something. So it could just be that I just wasn't paying attention. I missed something. But why is Mrs. Paddock like she's substituting for some teacher that like yeah. called in sick? We find that out later. And we are also meant to assume that this stuff is starting to happen now because she's here. Right. 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 
so what happened? Like what, you know, that, that's the part that I was a little bit unclear on. Why is she here? Why is she here now? Yeah, I think on first watch, if you haven't seen it before, you kind of, and even this time as I was watching it, I kind of thought this was the case, that the kids in the forest at the beginning mm. accidentally summon her. But, uh-huh. but, I, but I don't think that's the case because it seems like she just shows up because the, the, the PTA is fucking around with stuff or something. Like, it's not super clear. Like, I, and I think that kind of goes into why I'm not sure why she kills the girl. I understand yeah. why she kills everybody else. But, like, I think it would be a lot cleaner if there was a direct line you could draw between her being summoned, being in direct response to what the PTA is doing. Cause it's, even if it was something like, you know, the book that the book that they, the kids used was something that the kid found in his dad's room or something where you can, right. and his dad is one of the teachers or some shit. Like, it's right. just, it's, it's weird that it seems like the stuff that the kids are doing is just its own thing. And I believe the the one teacher is happens to be out in the woods for a, a group meeting that nobody showed up to. I think <laughs> right. Yeah, that's so, that's such a weird thing too. Yeah, because and he and the because they're wondering who killed that guy at the beginning. Right, who killed the, the the first student that was found dead in the woods. And again, is the implication that she killed him? I think so. Right, because I think so. Because because the the other teacher or whatever he would fess up to it he would say yeah it was me I, I you know they were doing something inappropriate in the woods I, I had to take care of it uh, but he doesn't he says no I, I was there and no one should then I left whatever right yeah um, he should but, at least see what happens like if because I, I don't think he does does he because n- no no he, he the implication is he left before anything happened like yeah. he, he was there already. And uh, someone that was supposed to go didn't show up or something like that, and he left. Then when you see all the shit going on, the the, the, the fire, and all that, like what, what happens at the beginning, right? Um, and one kid gets choked, right? Mm-hmm. So someone did physically kill this kid. Right. And I don't know if it is Mrs. Paddock, because like then you see when the way Mrs. Paddock operates is like with uh, witchcraft, right? She holds her hand over the flame and, you know, uh, that's what she does. So why would she physically? I assumed it was some sort of like, yeah, I guess if she can kill people just in in non-corporeal form, why does she need to masquerade as a teacher? Yeah, you're right. This episode's terrible. Well, I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's it's a uh, it's it's entertaining and it's 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 nice and creepy, but yeah. the moment you start to think about it, that's yeah. when it starts to fall apart. It, like it doesn't hold up to scrutiny. That's the yeah. Problem. It's weird because I feel like these are all problems that you could solve fairly easily. Yeah. Um, but yeah, maybe it's just uh, it just got away from them at a certain point, and it's like yeah, you know if. You're, I, I'm sure they weren't expecting people to be analyzing it 25 years later and, and calling out all the storytelling inconsistencies. Because, uh, yeah, as a story, as, as the first watch through, I think by the time Mrs. Paddock starts killing people, you've already kind of forgotten about the first 10 minutes of the show anyway. So exactly. you're just sort of along for the fun ride of, uh, of, of what's going on at the end. Yeah, that's basically it, and that's and that's kind of what I was saying when I when I said I had reservations, and it's what we brought up before how they have they run into problems when they have a good enough concept, 
But for whatever reason, instead of sticking with that one concept and sort of seeing it through, you know, following a through line that's logical, taking it to a to a conclusion, mm. they start to put in all these other elements. Mm. And by doing that, you end up with a bunch of loose ends that are unresolved by the end of the episode, but they seem like they were important. Yeah, I guess they yeah. weren't because ultimately the story has nothing to do with that kid that died in the beginning. That's just the catalyst to set the story in motion. That's what brings Mulder and Scully to the town. Yeah, it's also it. it's also unclear why Mrs. Paddock is going after the other people because it's it's not like they're getting too big for their britches or anything like that. Assuming assuming that they aren't the ones who killed the first kid, I don't know why she's going after them because they don't establish there's any like. Faustian bargain going on that that they've broken or that the time is up on or anything like that. She just kind of does it to do it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, it, <laughs> it goes back to the, us not really knowing why she's there. I mean, yeah. we know that there's a teacher who had never been sick who got sick, right? And nobody can actually remember hiring Mrs. Paddock in the first mm -hmm. place. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you get the sense that she, you know, she found her way in, you know, in a, in a magical way. And the implication also is that this teacher was put in that position so that she could come mm -hmm. in, right? But again, why, right? And it's like the coven, you know, the the, the three teachers or the, the PT, the PTC is what they call it. Mm -hmm. It seems like they're not fulfilling their obligations to the okay. cult. I, I think I, I, I understood it this way. Like they're, they're half-assing it. Sure. And so she's See, kind of showing story up to I like. Yeah, the fact that they're half, and that seems to be what they're establishing. That's why it's like the satire of religion, where it's like they, yeah. they, they spout all these beliefs, but they don't actually follow any of that stuff. Right. And they, they just half-ass it, right? They, yeah. it's, it's all talk. And so that's why now she's, she's come to sort of put order. Okay, you can sort of follow that concept, but it's murky because of all these other details that they add to it. Right. And so the climax to me, like to me, it didn't really make sense. Like when, when they're about to kill Mulder and Scully, you go like, well, how are they going to get out of this? Mm -hmm. Right. And okay. So she killed, you know, Mrs. Paddock kills them and you go, but I don't understand why she did that because weren't they doing what they're supposed to do? I mean, here Mulder right. and Scully are about to uncover the whole thing. So, they're they're stepping in to get rid of them because they have you know, but she she goes like it's too late, it's already too late. So just kill yourselves. And I'm just like, mm. you know, yeah. I don't really understand why, it, it kind of comes out of nowhere a little bit. I don't you know because I get that she stages uh, an attack mm -hmm. right in the classroom to sort of justify why the snake was not there and you know trying to push the blame onto other people, trying to push attention away from her. That also makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when these guys show up and and uh, try, you know, when they when they try to actually kill Mulder and Scully, she should let them do it. You would think, you know, it's it's part of. A, yeah, this yeah. kind of feels like a story where they where they had two or three really cool scenes in mind. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. then they had to kind of reverse engineer how it would all knit together because yeah. that that scene, there was a couple scenes. The scene where they find out, where they get to the school and she's faked the attack felt very much like a knitting together the plot scene because she's like, I don't know what happened. They took the snake, though. It's like, okay, well, that's 
Okay, well, that's going to explain goes. that. Yeah, okay. yeah, and the scene where Mulder confronts the father in the basement, and he, he says the stuff for about, like, half of it was true. The other half is probably just stuff she saw on TV. It's like, okay, you're kind of you're kind of <laughs> trying to knit your plot holes back together here or your inconsistencies back together here. It, it oddly doesn't really bother me that much because I think the ride is so fun. And um, I do I do like the 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 playground that they're in for this one uh, conceptually. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I agree with you. Like, like just, just to be clear, I enjoyed the episode. Mm. Like it, it, I had a good time watching it. It was suspenseful, well acted. And so I was I was in, you know, it's only like when when it's all over, I start going back and I going, yeah, but that didn't really make sense. Yeah. And yeah. that's true of a lot of things. And maybe. We shouldn't excuse those things. But as you said, sometimes if the ride is good, maybe that's all that really matters. Mm -hmm. And it clearly was something very important for the writers, for uh, Morgan and Wong, because uh, looking into the behind the scenes, this was the last episode they wrote for the show, at least oh, for a really? while. Yeah, because they went off to, to create uh, the show Space Above and Beyond. Oh, oh, I didn't know they did that. Oh, okay. Which I believe didn't last more than a season yeah. or whatever. But, yeah. you know, they left to do that. Obviously, when that fell through, they came back to the X-Files. But mm. this was sort of their farewell episode. So there's a cheekiness to it. There's a there's a certain sure. in-joke quality to it where they're going like, this is something that we really like. You know, like, uh, we, this is stuff that maybe we were fascinated with as, as high schoolers. So let's make a story that's really creepy about an occult witch's coven that runs a high school. And... You know, ended on that ambiguous note. Mrs. Paddock disappears, leaves that message on the uh, on the blackboard. You know, it was a pleasure right. working with you or whatever. And that was also an intro. That was them sort of leaving oh, that message yeah. for the cast and crew of the X Files. You know, so nice. so there's a few things in there that that they sort of did on purpose. And you know, I, I think that overall it is fine. It's just that I I do find it weird that these are easily solvable problems. And I hate mm. playing like you know, armchair writer, Monday morning quarterback about this, because whatever, this was 25 oh, my, years ago. It's my favorite thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, that's, well I, I love when you and Wes do it on, over on, on Penske, when you, like, uh, better ways to write Star Trek. And you, you guys tend to be right about that. So, no, it is, it, is, it, is fun, it is fun to do. But as you said a minute ago, they didn't think that 25 years later people were going to yeah. be yeah, looking into the minutia, and we probably do sound pretty annoying right now to someone who, who really likes this episode. Is like, who gives a shit? It's like, well, that's you know, it works. It works. You know? When I when I do that stuff, especially for older stuff like this, that um, I don't think any like like you said, I don't think anybody was expecting people to be talking about it twenty five years later uh, at the time. I don't let my revisionist ideas get in the way of the enjoyment of it. Like, I'm not going to write this episode off as a piece of crap because just because, uh, you know, they didn't, the, the narrative wasn't as tight as it could have been, you know, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that's what you're doing at all, but that's, that's, oh, of course, that's why that's the way that I like to, to kind of get into that stuff where it's like, I like to look at it analytically what can i learn from this from like a structure or a writing thing how could i maybe have solved some of the problems they didn't solve um and i then kind of like think about that as a as an exercise more than a direct critique or destruction of the thing that we're talking about i i'm not going to say that i'm a hundred percent free of not calling stuff garbage but <laughs> 
I, I try to, to be a little bit more um, subjective in my reasoning for doing it, if that makes sense. Sure. No, I mean, it, it makes perfect sense. And I think that that's, I mean, that's, that's why we do this. Like that, that, that's why we're podcasting in this particular sure, yeah. way. And, and my going through the series now, it serves two functions. One, like I'm looking at it cause I've always, I've always wanted to, and I never did. Um, but the reason I decided to actually start to analyze it critically is to sort of see, you know, to, to sort of see the mechanics of this television series, to try to see how it evolved. Right. It's creative evolution. Uh, same thing that I do with The Simpsons. It's about seeing how these things evolved and looking at it in context and then looking at it now. Basically, though, what I'm finding with The X-Files is that it basically holds up and it, and it yeah. holds up. I think it holds up a lot better than other genre shows of the period. I think so, too. Yeah. There is a certain even with flaws, which it has, it has it is it's held up remarkably well. Because I think that their concepts are just very interesting. Mm. And they they had a handle on doing these 45-minute horror movies and doing them very effectively. And so I think that it's very easy to grab some horror movie and poke holes in it because most right. horror movies are going to have plot holes like this. It's mm -hmm. because they are visceral concepts. You know, mm -hmm. that they are the people usually come up with the concept first. And exactly what you were, the example you were saying. And then, and it'll be something as, as interesting as just a scene. So like in this particular case, Morgan and Wong wanted a scene where a guy got eaten by a snake. Sure. Yeah. They, they wanted that. And so they thought about that before they wrote the whole episode. Yeah. So yeah. it does seem like there's, there's sometimes there's a very patchwork quality to it because that might be exactly what you're saying. It might be like, they come up with these great scenes. Wouldn't it be great if this happened? Wouldn't it be great if this happened? And they go like, yeah. But what's the story? Well, we'll figure that out later. But we've got these three set pieces, and we want we want to do that, and we write around them. And when you do that, though, you do run into these kinds of problems where things are going to kind of stay loose and unresolved. Yeah, I mean, as far as genre drama from 1995 goes, I think this is a pretty successful episode. I mean, it's not. Yeah. Oh, sure. It's not. You know, I a bad a bad X Files episode is is usually pretty bad. And yeah. this is not one of those. Um, yeah, there there are far worse than this, I imagine. Yeah. Is um, this is this season the one where uh, with the vampire girls? Yes, Mulder? that was a couple oh. of episodes ago. That that's oh, that episode's a, yeah. terrible. Yeah, that was a that was a bad one. That was a that was a pretty bad one. We uh, yes, there are certainly bad episodes in mm -hmm. you know the um, and there have already been in the first and even uh, so far in this season there have already been a couple of yeah that wasn't good. And again, I want to be clear, this isn't a bad episode. It has right, flaws, right. but it's yeah. actually a good episode. It's actually a solid one that I would recommend. One last thing I wanted to bring up, which doesn't really have anything to do with, I mean, it's just a, a funny little detail. Sure. The girl that plays uh, that plays Shannon, mm -hmm. uh, it's not that it was an actress that I recognized right away, so I looked her up, mm -hmm. but um, she did look a little familiar and the name was familiar. And this is because as I'm doing this, I am also, for shits and giggles, I've brought this up before, but I'll just say it again. I am also watching CSI. I'm going through CSI. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, God help me. I know. But that's what, that, that's, that's what I'm doing. So, And it's funny to sort of run into, I don't know, like, I'm starting to wonder if some of this is deliberate. Because a lot of um, actors that I, that I see on The X-Files or that I 
happen to see on CSI, all of a sudden I see them showing up on the X-Files or, or vice versa, mm -hmm. right? So it's just weird to me. Like, like they, they seem to have the same casting agency, I guess. I mean, which Maybe is probably does, true of all... Yeah. Did CSI uh, shoot in Vancouver? Because I feel like that's where uh, most of the no. people from the show come from. <laughs> well, um, no, they didn't. They shot in LA and um, oh, right. I, th I think parts of Vegas and whatever else. But, um, but the thing is that it's funny because this particular actress, I just saw her like very recently on an episode of CSI Miami. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, and uh, she's older in that episode, of course, came much later, and she she plays a college student mm -hmm. who, the, the episode is about the murder of a college professor. Uh, so it's very interesting because he is a college professor who is tortured to death and murdered in a very ritualistic fashion. So at first they do believe it's the work of a cult. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. It turns out to be just this one uh, student who basically beat the shit out of the college professor and like strung him up in a tree. Logically, I don't know how she managed to do that, but okay. Mm -hmm. uh, like all that by herself. But that's, it was weird because I, there's similarities. There's the whole thing about the cult thing. And yeah. the, the, prof the professor is a very influential professor who's like teaching them about pain. So like okay. has, the, has, the, has the whole class go out into the woods and like reenact the lynching use, using a dog. Right. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's, well, it's like, yeah, it's icky <laughs> stuff. Of course it's icky. It's icky as hell. But, um, my point is there's like a cult aspect to it. It's sure, like a cultural sure. murder type of thing. And here she's playing that role. So it makes me wonder, like, I don't know. Is that a coincidence? Like, I, I think, well, I, I assume that was, that was probably like CSI didn't, start until the early 2000s right or is it or are they yeah well, well, for, yeah yeah no it's yeah so the first season uh, of csi dropped it, exactly in the year 2000 yeah so that yeah i would assume at that point it's probably a, just a big coincidence however <laughs> i thought you were going to go a different way with that because i also looked her up and because i thought she looked familiar and she played jubilee in the fox made for tv movie generation x based on the Marvel comic of the same name that debuted in the early 90s, which is a TV movie I had on tape because those were the back in the days where there were no comic book movies to watch that weren't called Batman or Superman. And right. so anything even coming close to it, I'm sure I said this on The Simpsons Show, anything coming close to it was something that I needed to see and needed to watch. So I had the Generation X movie on TV on uh, tape. It's atrocious. It's terrible. Um, it's, <laughs> is it a failed pilot? Is it? A, is it? Was I believe it a, so. Was it a pilot? Was it going to be like a show? I that... think it was supposed to be a show, and it's yeah. uh, it's not good. It's just <laughs> it's it, it's got that. Um, it just looks like it has that '90s Fox production value, which I can't really describe, but I know it immediately when I see it. It's like the kind of costumes people are wearing, the sort of lights they're using. It's all just it. It all feels like it was. Uh, of of that era very much so it was the same the same not year maybe it was the same year but there was generation x and they also did nick fury with david hasselhoff playing nick fury that i remember which was actually i think written by david goyer who went on to write it a was. lot of the it, marvel movies but it was yeah uh but yeah i i haven't watched that generation x movie in 20 years 25 years maybe 20 years and uh, so just to see that pop up again, I was like, wow, that's that's a really weird connection to draw. It was a, I think it was a couple of years after this. I think it was 97 or something like that.
Yeah, probably, right? But she but she looked familiar to you, and when you looked her up, you go, oh, well, that's where I know her from. Yeah, it's probably on YouTube. I'm sure you can probably find it on YouTube if you are uh, interested enough to, to check it out. But um, I... Not, not that I want to keep talking about this. I mean, yeah. I kind of do, but because uh, <laughs> I don't think I've ever actually thought about it in a long time. But it was, it was the first time where you had comic book accurate X Men characters in live action because they had Jubilee, they had Banshee, they had White Queen, um, and a couple of the other characters from the Generation X book. Then they did that thing they always used to do before for some reason back before this stuff became more ubiquitous where they just, instead of using another character from the book, they made mm -hmm. up a new one that was just worse. So there was one yeah, character okay. who had like Cyclops's powers, but he wasn't Cyclops and he just kind of sucked. So it's, huh. you know, it's, it's, it's not a, it's not a great watch. It's like on the flash show when they did the, the live action flash show yeah, where instead, of, instead of using reverse flash, they had a, like a blue flash for some reason. I don't know why they make up these new characters. It just opened up a section of my memory that I, I haven't used in a long time. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it might actually, what you're saying, it might be a rights issue, I guess. I mean, that's, that's something that would be, yeah. I mean, it seems weird, right? It's like, well, you got the rights to the X-Men comics. What, they didn't give you the rights to Cyclops? Yeah. Weird. Well, even, yeah. even when they started making X-Men movies, they still did that. Like in the first two, I think the first three X-Men movies, there's like a, a bunch of times where it's like, oh, why didn't they use this character instead of making up a random mutant who doesn't really do anything? Just, you know. Yeah. So I, I've never quite figured that out. But yeah, maybe it's a rights thing. It could be. Like that's about like that's, that's the only thing that would that would make sense. because um, because the other thing would just be stupid, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> just doing it for no reason, that's just dumb. Well, yeah, I'm sure there's there's probably <laughs> something like it's like, well, you know, I want to bring my own bring my own element to this story. So I'll create a new character, but you know, whatever. Yeah. Speaking of CSI, um, I've only watched, like my dad used to love CSI Miami. I never watched it. I watched one episode to give it a <laughs> shot and I couldn't do it. Cause it was, if I remember correctly, it was someone who was murdered and they were shot and they ended up figuring out, that he was killed over a lottery ticket because he was shot. It was a scratch ticket, like a winning scratch ticket. Because sure. he was shot through the scratch ticket, which was in like his breast pocket. And the bullet that they took out of him had traces of the scratch away shit that's on the 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 uh, scratch tickets. Yeah, and man. I was just like, that you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a, there, there's a lot of that. Uh, I, yeah. I don't know if that's, that's probably later on. I, I, I'm only yeah, on I, don't, like, I don't remember where it fell, but yeah, but uh, but that sounds like something that would happen on this show that I'm yeah. watching. Yeah. Uh, it is. Yeah. I mean, it's not for everyone. Uh, that's why like, I, I wouldn't say, hey, man, you should check it out. You know, it's it's you either get it or you like you, you either buy like get into it and find it entertaining, mm -hmm. find the nonsense entertaining, find the find the formulaic aspect of it because it's so formulaic. Sure. Like sure. They, they all the episodes fall into this very specific pattern that after a while, you know, you know everything that's right. gonna happen. So you're just yeah. watching it's just for little like I I get a kick out of details. Mm -hmm. You know, like the the sciencey details stuff, uh, that that scientific like semi-real, semi-exaggerated gobbledygook. Yeah, it, I just find it really funny, and uh, and because of that, I enjoy the shows. And you know, uh, the campy acting of David Caruso or yeah. 
Yeah, I, that's, that's funny. I think I would probably enjoy it more now than I did at the time, because at the time I was, you know, I was forming my own opinions about what was good and what wasn't, and I probably had less of a tolerance for that show. But now I, I would probably kind of be into it now. Yeah, um, it would, you'd probably get a few laughs. My sure. uh, my girlfriend works in a lab, and it always it always bothers her on those shows the fact that they never have any lights on, and everybody all, all the women work with their hair down. So anytime, anytime I've watched it with her, she's like, eh, "This is all contaminated. None of this stuff would be would be admissible in court." Yeah, that, those are very good points. I hadn't thought of that, but she's absolutely right. The it's uh, the lighting. It's, yeah, those labs are always dark, you know. Uh, and you go like, yeah, "It's atmospheric television show, right?" I get yeah. it. I, I, I get the, I get that you know where the coroner is like cutting open the the body in this morgue that is lit. Like like a morgue out of like a Tales from the Crypt episode, right? Right, one, because it's like one light from the top. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're know, like, no, this is stuff that you need to see. This this has to be right, brightly right. lit. You know, uh, <laughs> you need to see what you're doing. You're 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 cutting into a body and looking at organs and whatnot. And yeah, it does that is very that's a very good point. And I hadn't thought of that, but you're, but she's definitely got a good point. Yeah. All right. So is there anything about this episode that we haven't said that uh, you wanted to bring up? No, I think we covered most of it. Um, yeah, that's, uh, I don't have anything else in my notes. All right, cool. Well then I guess, I guess we're done. Um, so listen, let me throw it back to you now. Um, and, uh, why don't you just go ahead and, and tell people where they can find you if they sure. want to see more of you. And I think that they should, but go ahead and you tell them what they need to do. Well, uh, if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can do that at dead meat comic. Uh, and on Instagram, I'm at C McCormick 414 C M C C O R M A C K 414. And uh, I also do a couple other shows. We, I do a Star Trek show with uh, my buddy Wes called The Penske File. And I've got a horror movie show called The Rotten Horror Picture Show, which I do with my co host Amanda. And uh, we, which we do. What is that? We do uh, movies off of the 200 greatest horror movies of all time list from RottenTomatoes.com, which is a very controversial list because the list, the ranking system on the list is terrible. I'm, uh, but it gives us stuff to talk about. So, And you guys aren't going in ranking order, right? You sort of just go random? You yeah, we do. Just, yeah, we yeah. do uh, every we do a random movie off the list. And then every fifth movie, we do one that we we bring to the show that is not on the list. And uh, I've also got another show called The Badass Podcast, where I talk about Batman the Animated Series with DC Comics artist Sean Murphy. That's great. Yeah, th those are all really great shows. I'm going to be providing some helpful links in the episode description. And uh, that's it, man. Um, thank you once again for joining me. This was a great talk, as always. Yeah, thanks and... for having me. The blood of the young is considered very powerful. We'd include them in the ceremonies against their will. They were too young to be trusted not to talk, but we never physically hurt them. We slip over the ancient rituals that we didn't want to do. What about Shannon's memories? We'd perform a sort of post-hypnotic suggestion that repressed their memories. When they came of age, 18, 21, then, they were made aware of the religion and brought into its practice. When she recalled the past events, she must have mixed up reality with with, the, with that crap that's on Geraldo and the tabloids. But you are responsible. You knew the possibilities contained in your beliefs no matter how watered down. 
Did you really think you could call up the devil and ask him to behave? And that is that. I hope you enjoyed our discussion. And if you did enjoy it, there are many ways you can support the podcast, which is available on Anchor FM, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other platforms. You can subscribe, you can rate and or review it, depending on what platform you're enjoying it on, and of course, you can share and spread the word on social media. Please do any or all of these things. Every little bit helps. Look for the Eric Antoine Network on Facebook or on YouTube. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Eric's Antoine Net, and check out my film reviews on Letterboxd. Also, I can't stress this enough, you'll be doing yourself a favor by going over to the Penske file and checking out some of those podcasts. Even if Star Trek is not your bag, and if you watched the recent season of Discovery, Who Can Blame You?, there are still plenty of other great things to check out there, covering all manner of TV and film-related topics. In any case, I'll be providing helpful links in the episode description, along with Twitter and Instagram links so you can stalk Clay on social media if you are so inclined. I'm Eric's Antoine, and I'll be back in a couple of days when Daniel and I will be discussing Fresh Bones, another creepy horror story that deals in occult situations. I hope you'll join us. And until then, please remember that the truth is out there. See you next time.